are listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Hi guys, my name is Gary Young. Today I'll be doing our scripture passage for this week. Our scripture reading for today is from Romans 4, verse 1 to 12, and I will be reading from the New Revised Standard Version. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he, was, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. So also David speaks of the blessedness of those to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sin are covered. Blessed is the one against whom the Lord will not reckon sin. In this blessedness, then, pronounced only on the circumcised or also on the uncircumcised, we say, faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the ancestor of all who believed without being circumcised and who thus have righteousness reckoned to them. And likewise, the ancestor of the circumcised who are not only circumcised, but who also follow the example of the faith that our ancestor Abraham had before he was circumcised. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks for that reading, Gary. We are in the midst of a series on the book of Romans. And if you've been watching these services, you know, throughout this shutdown, you already know that one of the things I've been encouraging us to do together is to follow along from home by actually reading through the book of Romans. Now, Romans is a a big book. It's a challenging book. So we have been splitting this up into sections. And the first section we've been focusing on is Romans chapter 1 to 4. And my advice so far has been to read that section, read Romans 1 to 4 over and over again as we work our way through it here together in worship. Read it once a week. Uh, Read a chapter a day. And then when you get to chapter four and you finish that, start back over with chapter one. And today we're finally in chapter four. We've we've made it through this first section. We're only going to be here for maybe another two weeks or so. So if you haven't been reading along from home, now is a great time to jump in. Read the first four chapters of Romans. It's only like maybe four pages in most Bibles, and you will be caught up with the rest of us. 
And then for those of us who have been following along from home, you have been reading through this section. We're in chapter four. This is it. We're at the end of this section. Pretty soon, we're going to be moving on to Romans chapter five. So if you want to get a head start on all that, my advice would be to take the next week or two to try reading through Romans chapters one through eight. And then from there, after that, once we're in chapter five together in a couple weeks, you can start focusing on that next section, chapters five to eight, doing the same thing we've been doing as we read along together. Does that sound like a plan? Excellent. Let's get into our text for today, Romans chapter four, a passage which on the surface seems to come out of nowhere. Paul's been going on and on for what, like, three chapters now about sin and unfaithfulness, how all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God, but salvation is available through Christ and through faith. Christ proved faithful to God, and so we can find forgiveness of sin, right relationship with God by placing our faith in Christ. That's what we've been talking about now for almost two months, And then all of a sudden here in chapter four, seemingly out of the blue, Paul starts talking about Abraham and circumcision. What's up with that? Where did that come from? Why all of a sudden after this long discussion about sin and salvation, why is Paul suddenly talking about Abraham? For those who aren't familiar, Abraham was the father of the Israelites. He's the the ancestor, the patriarch of God's people. And Abraham's story is found in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible. Abraham is arguably the core character of Genesis. The, The book of Genesis narrates the origins of the universe, you know, with creation, the Garden of Eden, all that stuff. But Genesis also tells the origins of God's people, the Israelites. And Abraham is basically the bridge between those two halves. After Adam and Eve are kicked out of the Garden of Eden, things just get worse and worse from there. You get the story of Adam and Eve's son, Cain, killing his brother Abel. Then you get Noah's Ark and the flood. Then it's the Tower of Babel where human beings essentially declare war on God and through this mix of like violence and slave labor, they build this giant monument to themselves that reaches up to the heavens. All these stories from Sunday school that narrate the descent of human beings further and further into sin and chaos. For the first 11 chapters of the Bible, that's what we get. That's the story, a story of things just getting worse until we reach Genesis chapter 12 and we meet a guy named Abraham. It's actually named Abram initially, and God changes his name to Abraham. But let's just, for simplicity, call him Abraham. God calls Abraham to leave his country, leave his city, leave his father's house, and to follow God to a new land. God promises to bless Abraham, to to be his God, and for Abraham's descendants to be God's people. God is going to use this Uh, elderly man give him descendants. He has no children when he meets God and he's pushing age 100. (laughs) And in fact, God promises to use Abraham and his family to bless all the families of the earth. This is a story that would have been incredibly familiar to Paul's audience, especially to the Jewish Christians in Rome. 
This is a foundational national story. Think of like, think of how we understand the stories of the, father, uh, the founding fathers in America today. Very similar idea here with Abraham. And Paul uses this familiar story about Abraham to prove the argument he's just made about salvation through faith. In Romans chapter 3, the passage we looked at last week, Paul dropped a bomb on his audience. Humanity has fallen into sin, and the road to salvation, the the way back to God, the key to reestablishing trust and right relationship isn't the law, it's faith. That would have been shocking news to many in Paul's audience. Because we already know how to establish right relationship with God. You follow the law. Keep Torah. That's why God gave the law to Moses on Mount Sinai to begin with. That's why, that's why our, our people, our ancestors, have been following the law for centuries. If you want to know what it looks like to live in right relationship with God, you follow the law. But then Paul comes in and he's just like, nah. It's not the law. It's faith. This would be the equivalent of like someone coming into our church today and being like, you want to you wanna be right with God? You want to have salvation, be in right relationship with God? Don't follow Jesus. <laughs> like, that would be a major shift, right? If someone came in and said that. I don't endorse that, by the way. We should all be following Jesus. But that's the level we're working on here. When Paul says that we're saved through faith and not by following the law, that would be as radical as someone coming into a church today and saying that we're saved by something other than Jesus. Shocking. And so Paul had better back up his argument. Paul had better provide some evidence, some support to this radical notion that it's faith in Jesus that saves us and not adherence to the law. And so he points to Abraham, a story that is ironically found in the law, in the Torah, but he points his audience to Abraham, and it is a brilliant move. Paul quotes from Genesis 15, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Another way we could put that is Abraham had faith in God, and God declared him righteous. This is from the story of God's covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15, when God promises to be Abraham's God and Abraham promises to follow. What's interesting is this story comes before Abraham is circumcised. Circumcision would go on to become the sign of God's covenant with God's people, but Abraham doesn't get circumcised until two chapters later in Genesis 17, which takes place years after this story of God making his covenant with Abraham. Moreover, at this point in the story, the law isn't even on the radar yet. Like, when we're talking about the law, that's Moses and the Israelites, the book of Exodus, you know, Mount Sinai, Charlton Heston, all that. That wouldn't happen for another, like, five or six hundred years. So Abraham is declared righteous, without being circumcised, without having the law, and what's the basis for that righteousness? Faith. 
Abraham believed in God. He had faith in God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Paul's basically saying, you want a proof text? You want some evidence that it's faith and not the law that makes us right with God? Just look at Abraham. Paul even does this thing here. It's, it's kind of a jerk move, really, but, but he does this thing where he talks down to his audience. He's almost, he's almost mocking them like, like they're idiots. You know, he's, he's addressing adults as if they're children. It's, it's kind of funny, really, but, but, but see if you can detect the tone in these verses. We say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before. <laughs> I mean, come on, do you, do you hear the snark there? Do you hear the, the, the little dash of disdain? Like, Paul, Paul's being a jerk, okay? But, but it's funny because he's right. You don't need the law to make you right with God if Abraham did it through faith. Now, on one level, this works as just like a good theological argument, right? And that's, and that's great. That, you know, doctrine is important. Theology is important. Salvation through faith is important. But I think where the rubber really meets the road with all this, where, where this gets a lot more relevant for us on a practical level, is how Paul's example of Abraham speaks into the situation happening in Rome between the Christians there. We've talked about this before, but the Roman church at this point in history is split between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. There's this divide between Jewish Christians who count Abraham as their ancestor and view the Gentiles as unclean religious outsiders, and then Gentile Christians who treat the Jews like second-class citizens and probably couldn't care less about Abraham. This conflict between Jews and Gentiles is threatening to tear the Roman church apart. And it's the thread running throughout Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul reminds his audience that Abraham was uncircumcised at one time. Abraham was not a keeper of the law. He didn't even know what the law was. Abraham wasn't an Israelite. Jacob, a.k.a. Israel, the guy that the Israelites would, you know, be named after, that they would descend from, he was Abraham's grandson. Abraham wasn't an Israelite. Abraham wasn't even a Jew. Judah, the guy that the, 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 the Jewish tribe would descend from, he was Abraham's great-grandson. Abraham wasn't an Israelite. He wasn't Jewish. Where did Abraham actually come from? Who was his people? What was his lineage? Does, does anybody know? It's kind of awkward asking this to a computer screen right now, but does anybody know at home where Abraham came from? He was from a city called Ur, which was located in the ancient kingdom of Babylon. You know Babylon? Home to the Babylonians the arch enemies of God's people in the Old Testament, those, those filthy, godless, hated Gentiles who declared war on Jerusalem and even destroyed the temple, those Babylonians, 
Yeah, Abraham was from their tribe. He was from Ur in Babylon. And what about God's promise to Abraham? To make Abraham the father of many nations. Well, the Hebrew word for nations is goyim. Now, I don't think we have many Jewish folks in our congregation. I, I think we're all mostly from Gentile stock. Maybe you've got some Jewish friends or relatives. Um, I, I know I do. If they call you a goy or goyim, that's not usually a compliment. Goyim, <clears throat> in addition to being the word for nations, is the Hebrew word for Gentiles, people of the nations, the goyim. Those are the Gentiles. So when God promises to make Abraham the father of many goyim, we could just as well translate that the father of many Gentiles. So you Gentile Christians in Rome who, who like to treat your Jewish counterparts like second-class citizens. Yeah, you're children of Abraham too. You are a descendant of Abraham through faith. Your very inclusion in the church is a fulfillment of God's promise to make Abraham the father of many Gentiles. And you Jewish Christians who, who think you have a leg up on your Gentile counterparts because you're circumcised. Yeah, your ancestor was an uncircumcised Gentile too, and a Babylonian. But God still declared him righteous through faith. Do you see what Paul's doing here? He's just spent three whole chapters cutting down his audience, cutting down the Christians in Rome, Jew and Gentile both, humbling them, calling them out, exposing their sins. And now right here in Romans chapter 4, Paul starts to build them back up together. And he uses Abraham to do it. Paul uses the story of Abraham to help these divided Christians come to see themselves in the other. Now that can be both a good thing and a bad thing, right? Like that can be, that can be good and that can be bad when we see ourselves in the other, when we see ourselves reflected in the enemy. Sometimes when that happens, especially if we see ourselves reflected in someone we're opposed to, that can be really triggering. This is especially true if we're dealing with someone who currently resides in a place we used to sit. Like when you encounter someone who maybe holds views that you used to hold, but you have since moved away from. Or maybe it's someone who lives in a way that you used to live, or maybe they belong to a church that's like a church you used to be part of, but have since grown beyond. Yeah, that can be super triggering. And that can, that can really set us off when we see an echo of our past selves, especially of something we maybe don't want to acknowledge about ourselves in someone else. For a lot of us right now, this is happening around matters of race. Opinion has shifted dramatically in the last couple of weeks regarding Issues like police brutality, systemic racism, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, and that shift has been most dramatic among white people. A lot of white folks 
are coming to see for the very first time the sort of injustices that people of color have been living with for generations. That reality is being exposed to a lot of people for the first time, and the corresponding shift is dramatic. We're seeing a lot of debates right now. In Congress, on the news, in our social media feeds, people are throwing it down, getting into fights, arguing, debating, blocking each other. And it's all because one person has come to see something in a new light. The, the blinders have fallen off. And now there is no room for people who see things differently. No grace, no understanding. For folks who are standing right where we used to stand, maybe maybe as recently as a month ago. A more personal example from my own life would be LGBT inclusion. If you go back to my, my teen years and early 20s, thank goodness YouTube wasn't a thing yet. But when I was a teenager, I was at best indifferent toward the experiences of LGBTQ plus individuals. At best, I was indifferent. If I'm being more honest, especially in my teen years, I was pretty homophobic. I certainly wasn't advocating for LGBTQ inclusion in the church. But then jump forward a few years, and I was leading a college ministry, and one of my students tried to kill herself when she was outed as gay. Around the same time, I had made some really good friends who were gay and who told me about their struggle to find acceptance in their families, in society, and especially in the church. Then not long after that, my, my uncle, who was like a second father to me, came out of the closet at age 50 because he couldn't bear to live a lie anymore. That changed me. That series of events led to growth, learning, evolution, to where now I consider myself a pretty fierce advocate for LGBTQ people, and especially in the church. But man, I'll tell you what, lock me in a room with someone who's homophobic, or someone who uses the Bible to beat up on gay people, things are going to get real. <laughs> but that's not about them as much as it's about me. And my shame, my guilt over where I used to stand. That's why this stuff is so hard. That's why it can be so triggering to see echoes of your past in someone else's present. Because if we go back far enough, we all come from bad stock. We all have cringeworthy stuff in our past that we've grown beyond and maybe would like to forget. Maybe it's views you held on race or sexuality. Maybe it's the way you used to think about money or politics. Maybe it's a sin that you used to struggle with and you've since overcome, but now when you see it in someone else, it just sets you off. Maybe you have a, a violent past and you have since embraced nonviolence, whatever it is. We carry shame with this stuff. But that's all part of being human, being imperfect, and trying to follow Jesus. 
This is part of learning and growing and being discipled. When God first met Abraham, he looked a lot more like a Gentile than a Jew. He was an idolater. He was uncircumcised. We all are, in a sense. No one is born a finished product. No one has arrived from birth. The me of 10 years ago is not the me of today, and hopefully the me of today is not the me of 10 years from now, because I would like to keep growing personally. I'm a work in progress. We are all works in progress. We are all being discipled, learning as we go. And it can be really hard when we see past versions of ourselves reflected in someone else. But that can also be the road to grace. Because if we can get past the shame, if we can work through all the guilt and discomfort with where we came from, if we can learn to accept ourselves, that we too are learning and growing, that we were once unclean and that's how it works, If Paul could get Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians to see themselves reflected in the other and extend grace, well, then maybe we just might learn to show love and grace and compassion to people who currently reside where we used to be. Because we know what it's like to be there. We remember what that was like and what it took to grow. Yeah, this is some hard stuff. This can be brutal. It can be really difficult to see yourself in the other, to see your past self in an enemy or even in a fellow Christian with whom you disagree. That can be triggering. That can bring back a lot of stuff from your past, but it can also be the road to grace and to love, and to being able to come alongside that person and see them through the eyes of Christ. Because Abraham is the ancestor of us all. Let's pray. God, help us to see ourselves in the other. As difficult as it is, Lord, help us to recognize ourselves in our enemies. Help us to be patient and loving and kind. Help us to be gracious with those whose present realities reflect our past. Knit us together as your people, Lord. Empower us to overcome every obstacle that threatens to divide your church. God, we thank you for the gift of salvation that is ours through faith. We thank you for the gift of your son and his sacrifice. And Lord, we thank you for Abraham, our ancestor in the faith. For our adoption into his family through faith and the call to partner with you as he did in the work of redeeming the world. It's in your name that we pray.
Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.